Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Denlevy. That is my co-host, Rob Dunham. Fresh from work. Fresh from work. Yes. <laughs> but this is the dedication that we have for yes. the movie fans and for the podcast crowd. Yes. That we will do this. Yeah. Even after work. <laughs> All right. Uh, we've got an excellent show in store for you we are going to talk about the end of the writer's strike no oh, the end of the actor strike yeah. the end of the actor strike yes let's talk about the end of the actor strike and we got some pretty interesting discussions coming up uh best opening scenes in movies and we will return with a game we have not done a game in a long time <clears throat> uh so we will get to that in a second and of course we will do our watch list all right, Rob, you ready to get started? I am. All right, so we'll briefly uh, we'll briefly hit up the box office. Um, not a stellar weekend for the box office overall. Uh, Five Nights at Freddy's was number one again for the second straight week. Uh, Nineteen million this week. Seventy six percent drop off for mm-hmm. for uh, Five Nights at Freddy's, which is uh, pretty huge. Uh, however, when you made $80 million plus in your first weekend, you know, I think you'll, you'll accept 113 million after two weeks. <laughs> uh, number two, Taylor Swift, the Eras tour, 13 million. That's up over 166 million. Number three, Killers of the Flower Moon, 6 million. That's only, that's only $52 million after three weeks on a $200 million budget. That's not good. Priscilla and it's, uh, technically second week uh did five million dollars it was really its first week but it had like a midweek release so it got some extra so it's kind of uh so that's done five million in its opening week and radical in its first week did 2.65 million dollars just to give you a standpoint on this uh the entire top 10 of the box office this week made a total of 56 million dollars uh that is the fourth worst weekend of the year Hmm. um and three of the four are in the last couple months there was two from september and then this weekend are all in the bottom four so uh fall has not been kind to the movie theaters and we've seen this just based on the releases that they have had or not had I think you're definitely starting to see pandemic or not pandemic uh, strike related effects as uh, certain things had to be moved out of their time slots and you're not getting a lot going on in fall. Uh, What are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, I'm not super surprised. There's nothing. Yeah. (laughs) I agree now. Yeah. And I'm guessing most people want to see five minutes of Friday saw it. Yeah. First week. And one of the things that I, I was thinking about this too. Um, usually we talk about like the word of mouth effect. I wonder if the word of mouth effect, because it's out on streaming, just let everyone to go stream the movie instead of mm-hmm. going out to theaters. Everyone who wanted to go see it in yeah. theaters went and saw it. And then they talked about it. And then everyone just went and watched it on Peacock. I think there's some of that effect. So yeah. I have some friends who did that exact thing. So yeah. Um, another one I want to bring up, uh, the Marsh King's daughter, which both of us pegged as the one that 
we were most interested in mm. seeing uh, over the past weekend did $850,000. Mm. Came in 13th in its debut weekend. And this one had one of the more recognizable actresses in mm-hmm. it, Daisy Ridley. Now, there was zero promotion done for this movie. Zero. Mm-hmm. Like, I had not heard about it. I never saw a trailer for it. Um, I didn't know about it until I looked out and saw it came up. So, uh, clearly, they really didn't care about this movie if they didn't promote it whatsoever. But, yeah, $850,000. Uh, yeah. So, not a good weekend for the, for the box office last weekend. Any other comments? Uh, not really, other than... Uh, doesn't look like it's going to be a whole lot better <laughs> next week. <laughs> yes, and uh, that's a good segue into what's coming out this week. We technically have a big release. Um, how big that's going to be is... Uh, we'll talk about that. <laughs> uh, so the big release is supposed to be the Marvels. It's the latest... Uh, it's the latest in the MCU. And... Um, this, of course, stars Brie Larson returning as Captain Marvel. Samuel L. Jackson is back as Nick Fury. Tayona Paris as Monica Rambo, And Imam Vellani as Kamala Khan. And so the Marvels comes out. And so the plot on this one is... Carol Danvers gets her powers entangled with those of Kamala Khan and Monica Rambeau, forcing them to work together to save the universe. Uh, That's your big release. And uh, they have been steadily revising the numbers downward for this movie since uh, they came out. And their current projections was uh, prior to this weekend was $60 million dollars. Of what they were projecting, which uh, ooh, that's a rough one. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about that, or should we go on to the rest of them and then come back to it? Oh, we can go through them all. All right. Uh, so, uh, it's a wonderful knife. Is the next one, and uh, as you might su- suspect, it is a slightly like thriller horror take on it's a wonderful life uh this movie stars jane uh, whittup jess mcleod joel McHale, and it's after saving her town from a psychotic killer winnie carruthers life is less than wonderful she wishes she'd never been born she finds herself in a nightmare parallel universe where without her things could have been much much worse so there you go. It's kind of a uh, like a murder mystery thriller drama set to the uh, kind of the framework of "It's a Wonderful Life." Only probably, I don't. I wonder if it's going to be more redeeming. I mean, it's obviously won't have the classic ending, but I wonder if I wonder if they're still going to go with a positive, uplifting end to this, or if it's just going to be like horror and destruction. Yeah, positive after all the stabbing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Next one. Uh, it's Journey to Bethlehem, the live action Christmas musical adventure for the entire family weaves classic Christmas melodies with humor, faith, and new pop songs retelling the greatest story ever told, the story of Mary, Joseph, and the birth of Jesus. And uh, this one stars Antonio Banderas, Milo Mannheim, Gino 
Gino Segers, and Fiona Palomo. So, Journey to Bethlehem. Classic Christmas story. And uh, the last one that comes out this week is The Holdovers. And The Holdovers is uh, starring Paul Giamatti. And uh, this is a cranky history teacher at a remote prep school is forced to remain on campus over the holidays with a troubled student who has no place to go. So Paul Giamatti and the holdovers. All right, comments. We have four entrants into the box office. What do you make of it? Uh, So a couple thoughts on a few of them. Mm -hmm. Um, So I know when Captain Marvel came out, there was a lot of uh, like negativity or um, people didn't think it was going to do super well and it ended up doing really well. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that's going to be the case with this one. Yeah. I, I think that I don't think it's because it's the Marvels. I think it's because people are kind of just tired of Marvel movies in general. Yeah. And I think we've seen that uh, just with superhero movies mm-hmm. across the board, but um, this isn't a top tier like Spider-Man, Iron Man, yeah, Avengers type movie. Mm-hmm. Um I think there's an audience for it, but I don't think the audience is going to be that massive. Yeah. And you just really wonder where Marvel is like Mm -hmm. going. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, You really do. You really Um, do at this point. You know, because they have all these ideas about what they want to do, but I just Mm -hmm. don't know where the engagement is or the broad interest is Mm -hmm. in some of these things people even know what some of these things are are going to be yeah um the tv shows they've been doing i think are fantastic if you have a chance to watch any of the things on disney plus just watch loki season two just ended Mm -hmm. and it brings out things that are going to be tied into future movies and it's tied into past movies for instance uh one one of the main characters in the new season of loki is kang who was the big bad guy in ant-man and the wasp quantumania yes which just came out and now i kind of need to go back and watch Ant-Man and <laughs> the wasp quantumania now that i know who that character is uh-huh. um one thing that i like about the tv shows and i know this is a movie podcast where we talked about <laughs> how there's that blurring of that line and marvel is kind of on the forefront yeah, of that marvel star wars yeah but those the two disney franchises um because Jonathan Major is the guy who plays mm-hmm. um, Kang, or he who remains, is his other name. Um, you get to see a lot more of his range in the TV show than you get to see mm-hmm. in the movie. And I think that that really informs his character in the movie. And I think it gives his character in the movie a lot mm-hmm. more gravitas and yeah. background. Mm-hmm. The problem is, and we've talked about this before, you're giving people you're essentially giving people homework yeah to be able to understand the motivations and personality of characters that they're seeing in a movie yes i mean in the movie you're probably looking at 20 minutes total screen time for him maybe you you can't understand who a character is and what his motivations are with that little amount of time in this kind of setting yeah um so I really like that about the series. I just wish they would. It, it it's a really hard balance because I don't think making more movies is the answer either. They I, I would say I mean 
I did see the Marvels because I was going to go out to the theaters and that was the one that worked out best time-wise for me. So I did see the Marvels. So I'll refrain from commenting on the movie itself, but just on the setup, like the trailer, there was, there was nothing particularly compelling about the trailer. Like there was, there was nothing in the setup and the promotion of the movie. It was like, Oh, I've got to go see this. Like I, this is going to be great. There was nothing about mm-hmm. that that spoke to that. And this is where the lack of direction for Marvel is proving to be so disastrous because in the first three phases, it you knew where they were headed. And so you needed to know what the next piece of the puzzle was. And so even if, even if individual movies were not as strong, let's say Thor Dark World or something like that, that are that are like lower rated amongst the Marvels for the first three phases, you still felt like you needed to see it because you needed to get the next step. You needed to get the next piece. Because we're this far into phase four and nobody still has any clue what's going on, where, who, how, any of this stuff, all the movies kind of seem solo at this point. Yeah. So then all the movies have to stand on their own. And add in the fatigue, add in the fact that there's no direction, you can't carry a less than stellar appearing movie unless you have a back mm-hmm. a back flow that says, no, you got to go see this because you need to see where it's headed. Yeah. I mean, part of it too is yeah. I think people just don't know these characters. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that Kang is supposed to be the next like really bad guy People like if you're a common fan, you don't know who that is. Mm-hmm. Um, a common fan doesn't know who Doctor Doom is. Like these are characters that are more like comic book fan specific. Yeah, they're not on the same level as a Loki. They're not on the same level as Thor, Iron mm-hmm. Man, Captain America, the yeah. Hulk. Like, and that's just going to be a natural consequence of diving deeper into the material. Yeah. And you can't just expect people to come out and throw their money at mm-hmm. your movie just because it's a comic book movie. Like they have to have some, like I said, level of engagement. Yeah. And I don't know where that is coming from. No, I agree. I agree. I think you're left with even even a lot of the diehards are kind of like, all right, what what are we doing here? Now I, I agree with you when you said earlier. I thought Captain Marvel was actually a pretty good movie. Mm-hmm. I actually thought that was it was it was fun. It was entertaining. I actually did enjoy that. Um, I felt as though the problem with her character all along is she is kind of a human Deus Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. Like she had like, and and when I get to the actual movie itself, we see similar problems of like. It's just kind of like she shows up and can do everything. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, you know, they talk about how that, you know, the Superman got out of hand at some point. So they had to start introducing like weaknesses to him because he just got too powerful. There was no human element to it. There was no relatability to it. I think there's a little bit of that to her character. Um, yeah. And I just don't think, I don't think her character is strong enough on her own to handle uh, just solo standalone movies. Anything, anything from the other three, they intrigue you at all? Yeah, so it's a wonderful knife I'm going to be seeing tomorrow. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I watch scary movies. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm interested to see Justin Long mm. in this movie. He's starting to do a whole lot more. 
it seems like he's shifting into that space. He was in um, Barbarian. Mm-hmm. The movie came out um, early this year. Um, he's in the Goosebumps show now on Disney Plus, and he is now one of the main characters in this movie. He's the mayor of the town in uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Um, I've seen It's a Wonderful Life a lot of times. So, <laughs> so you'll be able to. So I'm very interested to see what kind of parallels they. Yeah. Well, obviously, when watching the trailer, mm-hmm. some of the some things are obvious, super obvious. Yeah. But I'm just kind of wondering what level of depth or detail mm-hmm. they'll go into to be similar. I had honestly not heard of this movie at all until like three days ago. My friend asked me to go see it. Yeah, I hadn't heard of it either. I hadn't seen any trailers to it. I came up in my research for this for this week and what was coming out in the box office. Um, it didn't even make my list of movies like fall movies to preview. Yeah. Um, and, and then uh, for the Journey to Bethlehem movie, uh, Joel Smallbone from For King Country is in this movie, which is interesting. Oh, yes, yes. Um, he's he's also playing his, I, I don't know if the, I don't think the other movies come out, they made, they're making a movie about their family, hmm. um, how he and his brother and their sister, Rebecca St. James, and the rest of their family came from Australia to the United States um, and basically had to learn how to live in america <laughs> and saw snow for the first time with all this stuff they talked about essentially the concert i went to um this last winter mm. um but it, he's tr- dipping his toes into acting so i'm interested to see yeah you know what that how that goes mm-hmm. for him and if he has uh some potential there for sure i'm interested in the holdovers uh i, I like paul giamatti it has a little bit of feel. i don't think it will be anywhere close to his epic but I think it has a little bit of a similar school vibes like uh, Dead Poet Society mm-hmm. or The Emperor's Club uh, with Kevin Klein. Uh, that kind of it has similar vibes to it, like teacher student boarding school relationship type stuff. Um, and so I think it could be a good character drama and and a good character story drama. So I'm, I'm interested in holdovers. We'll see if I get a chance to to get out and see it. Uh, but I, I am interested in that. Okay, that's the box office. And now let's turn our attention to the news of the day. The actor strike is over. Huzzah! Ah, yes, the actor strike is over. It is settled. Cheers. People. Cheers to that. Oh man, it has been a long one. In fact, uh, the longest actor strike on record wow. it is the longest it wraps up uh it was more than a hundred days on strike uh it lasted longer than the 1980 strike which is 95 days uh but what's just almost equally as devastating is it came a couple weeks after actually probably you know a month and a half after the writers went on strike so you had writer strike then a month and a half Later, the actor stroke, stroke. That's not the that's, struck. That's struck. That's, that's the right one. Struck. Unless they uh, were swimming while they did it. <laughs> uh, so then, and then that one lasted longer as well. So you've had a significantly. It's not just that the actors were gone for over a hundred days. It's that the writer strike was one hundred and forty-six days. And so you have this very long period of time where movies essentially could not be made because you couldn't do it without the writers initially. Writers came back, they could resume writing, but then the actors couldn't be on set, which meant the movie still had to be delayed. But it is over. 
it is over as of i think friday was when the the actors guilds uh membership ratified it but it is over uh they have been working very steadily over the last week or so uh apparently even in the earlier this week they did a 10-hour session of negotiations mm. trying to iron out the details on some of the ai stuff uh but now um they can get back to business actors can back, get back on writers are back on everything is back on uh way too late way too yeah. long but it's over i mean we saw some fascinating things start to trickle out um things specifically about the network cbs they were introducing some things like the british version of the show ghosts mm -hmm. and uh the new Z the uh, australian csi sydney yeah and like introducing these things <laughs> is like look at these new additions to you've seen you know, primetime game shows come to back. the family which is uh, not really how it works they're actually already shows but you know <laughs> they had to fill space somewhere because their actors were unavailable or even like abc doubling up on monday night football mm -hmm. espn yeah. just because you know why not <laughs> uh so that is all over now um this took way too long to get here it had way too much devastating effects on the on the industry and i think we've seen that over the fall with uh the lack of releases in in key spots uh but it is done it is over with everyone goes back to work and hopefully productions on this stuff can start ramping back up. Hopefully there are little to no more additional delays other than the ones that we have talked about before. Um, you can listen to one of our previous podcasts where we talked about the, all the movies that have been delayed. Mm -hmm. uh, but hopefully that's an end to that now and everything can move forward to proceed normally. Yeah. The frustrating and unfortunate thing for us is that the first half of this next year is going to be majorly impacted by the results of the strike yes and there's going to be not a whole lot of major movies coming out you're going to get half of this year some stuff over the christmas season because most of that stuff was done ahead of time mm -hmm. uh but yeah the first pro i would say through probably almost maybe even through like the may time frame mm -hmm. Uh, you're gonna have you're gonna have weeks where it gets really rough if you're a fan of movies and want to go see something in the in the box office. Dust off dust off those DVD and Blu-ray players. That's right, people. Break into your collection <laughs> of good movies because you're gonna, you're you're gonna smash the case of emergency. <laughs> um, I did want to also say just I forgot to mention this earlier. The Killers, that Netflix movie, mm. that comes out this week with uh, Michael Fassbender. That was one that I previewed on my fall movie list. Mm. So that comes out this weekend on Netflix. That's one I highlighted. So maybe you want to check that one out. On yeah, that's one well. definitely on my list to look at too. Yeah, but the strike is over. Um, I don't really have a ton to say about this other than it's about time and get back to work. <laughs> I expect all of you on sets for very, very long days uh, trying to catch up on all this stuff. Anything else on the writer's strike or the actor's strike, I should say? Um, I don't have anything on that. Nope. Okay. Um, now we'll move on to discussions. Uh, so I am working on a piece for filmforfans.com. Make sure you check out filmforfans.com on uh, my list of the best opening scenes in, in movies. And so I thought we would discuss this. We, I mean, now we've talked about individual movies having great opening scenes. We've, we've done some similar things, but I want to sit down to have an actual discussion on some of the best opening scenes in films that we have seen uh so we're gonna do that i first 
I first uh, thought maybe we could start out by talking about like what makes a great opening scene. Do you have do you have mm. uh, a couple thoughts on what makes a great opening scene? Like when you see it, you go, "Oh, that's amazing!" Like what is it? What is it that drives it being great? I, I think it's hard to define because I think all my different ones have different reasons mm-hmm. for being a great opening scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think sometimes it's a visual thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think especially if you're looking at like a large set environment, a visual thing can be a very big open draw. I think a bunch of color done the right way or different subversive kind of thing Mm -hmm. than you're expecting can be a good opening. I think also like character focused dialogue at the beginning of the movie where you have to like, you know, right away, I have to pay attention to this. There are a couple that I have like that, that I think, our sign of a good Mm -hmm. opening to a movie it's really about like if it's hard to it's hard to quantify because it's one of those things where when you watch enough movies you see a great opening to a movie you just Mm -hmm. like you're like oh yeah it's gonna be this kind of movie like Mm -hmm. and some i will say some movies don't follow through yeah on yeah. The the premise of the opening. Mm-hmm. Um James Bond, Spectre. Mm. Like such a cool the Mexico City yeah. opening is, yeah. in my opinion, though it was not on my list. Uh-huh. But one of the reasons why it's not on my list is because it didn't really go anywhere from yeah. the beginning with that <laughs> one shot, that mm-hmm. one shot opening where it's just following Daniel Craig around through the whole city. Yeah, it's, dead dead Mexico. Yeah, yeah it's really cool. Just fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there, like I said, there's just something about it when you're watching it, you're like, you're hooked. Yeah. Immediately, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. like, I need to pay attention to this. This is, yeah. And I don't know if it's always that it's like, I don't think it's necessarily always that it's like drawn back or laid back. Sometimes it's like loud and in your face mm-hmm. and making you pay attention. Yeah. Um, it really just depends. Do you have any other? So thoughts? I, I did some research when I was doing research for for this piece. I came across a, a site that said that gave it kind of three things that a great opening does, and I thought it was perfect. I thought it perfectly encapsulated what I was thinking about it. And it says there are three factors that, and it doesn't have to have all three. It just has to have one of these three to be potential for a great opening scene. Grab factor. It it grabs your attention right from the beginning, and it's like, oh, okay, now I'm in. The grab factor. The second one is memorability. Is this a scene that you remember when you're done with the movie? It's a scene. Is it a scene that stands out in your mind as as you remember a film or you talk about it somewhere later? Is is it a memorable scene? And the third one is sets the stage. Is it is it a scene that absolutely sets the stage for what you're about to watch? Uh, so anyone along those lines, if it has any one of those three. Uh, it can have the potential to be a great opening scene. And some of them have more than one of those. Uh, some of them have all three. All right. So Rob, give me uh, give me one movie that you're like, this one has a fantastic opening scene. So the first one I think of, and I don't think the movie is like the best movie ever, but I think everything you just described about what makes a great opening scene, mm-hmm. this one has and I will always remember when I think about the movie is the life of a bullet from the movie Lord of War. Oh yes. Uh-huh. That starts mm-hmm. with, um, and I looked this up, the song, uh, for what it's worth by Buffalo Springfield is playing in the background. Yeah. Um, you'll, if you looked that up, you'll recognize it. 
Um, and even a, start from the very beginning of that opening quote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do yeah. we arm the other yeah. 11? Yeah, <laughs> and it basically just follows a bullet as it's going through the process of being created in a factory and then all the way through distribution to the person who's going to shoot it and then it being shot. Yeah. And it's just, it's like three minutes long. Yeah. Um, which you're kind of like, when you're thinking about it, you're like, how could they spend three minutes on this and it be like interesting or intriguing, but it's, it is, it's fascinating and definitely draws your attention. Mm -hmm. And I think that it does a great job at setting the whole premise of the movie and the idea behind Mm -hmm. like, what are we doing here? What, like, who's helping who why are they doing this mm-hmm. um yeah it's it's really good yeah uh side note i just found out andrew nickel the director of lord of war was offered to direct casino royale which came out huh. basically the same year but he turned it down wow to do lord of war hmm. yeah interesting yes you are dead on lord of war has a fantastic opening sequence now it's been a while since i've seen it and it came up in my research and i rewatch it like oh yeah that's really good mm-hmm. it really is and it does it sets the stage it's memorable it's it's really good um i'm gonna go with one that does an awesome job i mean i i think it's memorable but this one more than anything else sets the stage for what you were about to experience uh lord of the rings fellowship of the ring the opening sequence of that movie where you have kate blanchett mm-hmm. uh kind of narrating the backstory mm-hmm. and then the visuals and the eerie music you're seeing and everything that comes out of this you're like okay all right we're in for we're in for some seriously epic epic movie here and what proceeded was three years of some of the best movies we've ever mm. seen. And it was all that stage was all set by that intro read mm. and that opening sequence from Kate Blanchett. Yeah. Uh, really, I mean, you knew it, it, it absolutely set you up for how amazing those movies were going to be. And there's something about that in particular, like, even though you know it's Kate Blanchett, somehow, with I don't know if it's just because of the genius of what Tolkien wrote or how it's performed, but like for me, at least I separate myself from the fact that it's Kate Blanchett. Like when I hear it, like I'm not hearing Kate Blanchett. I'm just hearing like, yeah, this is this story. Yeah. Like coming to life mm-hmm. that I have, you know, been a fan of and love for so long. Yeah. And seeing a modern version of it done well. Mm-hmm. And I think anyone who saw that in the theater, I saw that in the theater. Um, when it happened instantly was like oh i think they might have gotten this they might have nailed this yeah. like just from the beginning yeah oh yeah yeah you're like okay we're in it now yeah. it's good uh it's it and it's it's the perfect encapsulation of a setting the stage great opening scene it really is a great example of what that is and what that does it lets you know uh what's happening there all right so yeah uh, another one I had was uh, the beginning of Ocean's Eleven mm. with uh, George Clooney. Okay, being interrogated or you know interviewed about if he should be released from prison or not. Yeah, and this one is one that very much draws you in. Like the dialogue is is pretty muted; it's not loud at all. It's him just talking mm-hmm. to somebody, and it makes you focus right away on, okay, like who is this guy? Why do I care about this guy? Yeah. what's where's he going what's he gonna do yeah um 
No, sir, I wouldn't even think about leaving this place. <laughs> uh, uh, that comes a little bit later. But the, yeah. the whole, that whole, um, honestly, like the the whole movie is fantastic. That first 10 minutes mm-hmm. or so, where it has his part, and then you see Brad Pitt's part with all the actors playing cards. Yeah. And then you have their conversation with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the casting for that movie is some of the best in any movie. And I think it's that, the definition of how you do ensemble yeah, casting. His George Clooney is absolutely perfect for Danny Ocean. Yeah. That character. And his like soliloquy kind of to I mean, he's talking to somebody, but it's really all focused on him. Yeah. You know, to hear you get you get to know his whole character's personality and sense of humor and mm-hmm. motivation all within that first couple minutes. Yeah. Which I think is brilliantly yeah that's interesting because i hadn't thought about that but you're right that's a good one i, I like that one that one yeah, that definitely works um another one i have on my list is no country for old men uh you have uh tommy lee jones uh you know over western over western landscape sceneries and he's he's talking about you know Oh, it used to be like this. And, you know, you got that like Southern local sheriff vibe right from the beginning. Uh, And then it cuts, it it cuts to Anton Chigurh, uh, Benicio, or not Benicio del Toro, Javier Bardem's uh, insane bad guy as he commits two horrific murders. And you're like, okay, (laughs) it's memorable. It's visually, it's a visually spectacular and it's creepy as all get out. And so that that combination, you're like, okay, all right, we're in it and and we're we're definitely we're definitely going here. Yeah, if you've read that book or any of the other books by Cormac McCarthy, I mean he's known for not pulling a single punch no. <laughs> with his writing. There's nothing that he holds back. And I think the beginning of that movie is a great example of that being shown in the yeah. visual format. Um, one other one I had was Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of the opposite of what I've been talking about with like the close, quiet, yeah, focused thing. This one is loud, it is bright, mm-hmm. opens with the visual of one eye being open, and then from there it zooms out and you see Ryan Gosling's character, um, his plane flying over like this huge cemetery or whatever it is or village or they yeah never entirely explained but you get a sense right away of how massive Mm -hmm. this world is and um i think that movie from start to finish is a beautiful movie yeah visually and the beginning of that movie sets a great stage for what's going to come later on Mm -hmm. um i was also great for um testing and showing off sound systems yes (laughs) absolutely and every time i move my speakers around or rewire them or adjust any setting i start with the beginning of that movie because i want to hear that sound if it sounds the way i want yeah the sound profile the soundtracks the look i mean dennis villanueva knocked it out of the park with that one he really really did it was so so good um i have i have a very long list that i'm working on narrowing down uh, but one I want to one I want to give uh, mention to is Children of Men. Mm. Children of Men, and this one is different. I, I put this out as being different because it was they how they introduced the whole premise of the movie. They do it right from the introduction, and they do it in a unique way. 
everyone standing around a TV kind of with, with sad, weird eyes. And then, um, what's his name? Walks through, um, uh, not Gerard Butler, uh, Clive Owen. Clive Owen, thank you. Clive Owen walks in and they all look up at the TV screen and it just announces that the youngest person in the world has died. <laughs> that's the only that's what they do they they just do a news broadcast of the youngest person in the world dying and so right away you're already thrown off like whoa well what what's happening here what, what's what's going on and then he walks out he walks down the street and then the coffee shop he was just in blows up big huge explosion out of nowhere it's one of those like jump out of your seat moments uh so it immediately it gets you twice because it gets you with the premise in a unique way to introduce the whole premise of the movie and it'll get you a second time with the explosion. It's it's really it's different, but it's really unique. Yeah, and the effect too when the bomb goes off and he loses his hearing. Yeah. That's something audiologically that um has not been utilized in a lot of movies yeah. in the same way. Mm-hmm. So that sets it apart too yeah. as being unique. And just to piggyback off what you're saying about Clive Owen, I have one more, the Inside Man. Mm. Mm. And oh, Inside Man. So you got to get Inside Man as Clive yes. Owen delivering a speech about um, what it's like to be trapped. And you know, I'm not going to give the whole movie away, but yeah. it seems like when he's talking to you, he's talking to you from prison. But is he? <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. And I still forgot about that one. Prison. Yeah. Um, I, and after talking about all these movies, I feel like I need to go back and watch all of them. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I I have a list of like 15 that I'm going to try and narrow down to 10. Mm. And it's going to be really hard to do because every single one of these has has fantastic openings. Like, I don't know if the social network will make it into my mm. list, but that one has a really unique opening. Gravity, mm-hmm. the prestige. So, so many, so many great opening scenes and movies. All right. Well, we'll move on from that one, and we have a game for you. We're going to be back with games again. And so uh, today we're playing uh, Guess the Box Office Trivia. And so the way we're going to play it today is each of us have selected a specific year. And then we will give out which movies finished top five in the box office that particular year. And then each one of us is going to have to uh, guess the order of where whether they finish one, two, three, four, or five. I might need a, a writing implement for this, or okay. I can just make a note on my phone. Um, there might be a writing implement here in this basket, if there is. Yes. Okay. Go for it. All right. Um, Why don't you start? Yeah, since since I picked one year and you picked several, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I will go first, and I will begin my year by giving you a trivia question. All right. From 1986 through 2007, the total domestic box office yearly take, so the amount of money the entire box office made that year, went up every single year from 1986 to 2007, except one year. There was one year in that sequence that it went down. Do you know what year? Thinking, thinking, thinking. <laughs> That's a complete guess. Uh, 1998. 
2005. Okay. 2005 was the only year from 86 through 2007 that the total box office revenue went down. And that's the year I chose. 2005. Okay. All right. So here are your movies. Okay. The top five in random order are War of the Worlds, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, The Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, and Wedding Crashers. Okay. So, Wedding Crashers, War of the Worlds, Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, the Wardrobe, Star Wars Episode Three, Harry Potter, Goblets of Fire, Goblet of Fire. The, eh, I won't give you any more than that. So there's there's your list. All right, we pick out which one you think came in number five. Uh, I'm gonna say the Chronicles of Narnia. Actually, let's do it. Let's have you rank them all, because okay. then because then otherwise, if we do it differently, yeah. you might not get any of them right. <laughs> so Chronicles of Narnia at number five is incorrect, but still, I guess anyway. Um, Number four, I'm going to say uh, Wedding Crashers. Number three, War of the Worlds. Number two, Harry Potter. Number one, Revenge of the Sith. Okay. Did you write them down so you remember what you guessed? All right. You did quite well, actually. Number five was Wedding Crashers. Wedding Crashers did $209 million. Which, uh, when was the last time a comedy made 200? And is this, uh, worldwide or just domestic? Domestic, okay. domestic box office only. Uh, two thousand two hundred nine million. Uh, number four, Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe did 209.4, whereas so Wedding Strangers yeah. did 209.2. Uh, War of the Worlds was three, 234 million. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire was two. At 273 million, and Star Wars episode three did 380 million. Wow. So you got three out of five. I don't know if I would have said that Star Wars episode three would have made a hundred million dollars more than the second place movie. Yeah, more than a hundred million dollars more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, But yeah, I I figured it was the top one out of that list. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because the top five, you have one. Wedding Crashers was released in July. Chronicles of Narnia in December. War of the Worlds in June. Harry Potter in November. Star Wars in May. So they were littered all mm. throughout the year, which is really interesting. Okay. So that good job on that one. Three out of five. That's, that's pretty good. All right. You ready? I am ready. What are my right. movies here? We're going back in time a little bit farther than okay. uh, you went. So... We're going to go with 1988. Okay. All right. This will be interesting. All right. I, I think this is very interesting. All right. Uh, based on the movies. It's quite a quite a very strange mix of movies. <laughs> um, Good Morning Vietnam. Okay. Uh, Crocodile Dundee 2. Oh. Coming to America. Okay. Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh wow! And big. Oh, okay. all came out in 1988. Oh, I thought big was earlier than me. And I will say the difference between these five movies, between the first and the fifth place movie, 
the first place movie made $47 million more than the fifth place movie. Wow. That's so these were really bunched up, which means it's really going to be difficult to figure this out. Oh, okay. Um, hmm. Okay. Hmm. Okay. So I'm going to go with, and I could easily get all of these wrong <laughs> because there is not a standout candidate in this for me whatsoever. Um, number five, Roger Rabbit. Okay, so I'll put that on. Number five. Uh, number four, uh, Crocodile Dundee 2. Um, number three is Coming to America. Number two is Big, and number one is Good Morning Vietnam. Okay, so that is sheer guess, and uh, I easily could get all these wrong. Okay, so uh, you said Who Framed Roger Rabbit as number five. number five? Yes, it was actually number one. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> Who framed Roger Rabbit was number one? Oh, oh my gosh. $156.4 Okay. All right. Numbers. All right. Uh, you said Crocodile Dundee 2, number four, was uh -huh. actually number five. So that was close. Uh -huh. This is trending in the wrong direction. $109.3 million. Okay. But one interesting thing about Crocodile Dundee is that it opened, it was in 2,837 theaters. The next closest movie was 2064 really so it was so it was open in way more yeah, so it was almost okay. a thousand more theaters than anyone else on the list oh, it was actually really interesting in 1400 more theaters than who framed roger rabbit that's crazy so there what that leads me to believe is that they expected there was a large audience for crocodile dundee 2 after crocodile dundee's success yeah but that it didn't quite pan out it didn't quite pan out as so much. So even as though it thought. finished number five, it was a disappointment because they expected a lot more. Yeah. Of it based on how wide it was. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh, release. Uh, you said coming to America at number three was actually number two. Yeah. I mean that's close to one hundred twenty-eight million dollars. So it finished twenty-eight. I was I was really debating two or three on that one. The yeah. first. Okay. Um, big. You said number two was actually number four. So that was one hundred fourteen million. Okay. But like I said, um, yeah, big only was was only in fourteen hundred and nineteen theaters, one thousand four hundred nineteen theaters, compared to the two thousand eight hundred thirty seven Crocodile Dundee. So yeah. in half as many theaters, it still made four million dollars, <laughs> almost five million dollars more. Yeah. Um, and then you said Good Morning Vietnam at number one. It was number three at one hundred twenty two point two. Okay. Yeah, I I knew that was going to be tough because the like yeah the wide range of movies and and the closeness with which they were monetarily yeah that's a tough year that's that's really interesting yeah that's really really interesting so uh, uh do, do you want a chance to redeem yourself with the other sure why not let's do it all right so this one might be a little easier 1982 oh okay 1982 that was my birth year all right okay so in 1982 the following came out okay um, an officer and a gentleman okay raiders of the lost ark all right porkies okay rocky three okay and et the extraterrestrial okay 
And I will also say the top movie of this year made 120 million dollars more than the second place movie okay. this year. Um, so I think one or two has to be either Raiders or ET. I just can't remember which one did more in the box office. I'm gonna go with Raiders one, uh, ET two, which is probably wrong, but that's my guess. Um, we're gonna go with Officer and a Gentleman three, Rocky three, four, and Porky's five. It auto-corrected to Porkers, which is kind of funny. <laughs> All right, what we got? Uh, you got Porky's correct. <laughs> I also accidentally, uh, Porky's is actually number six. I skipped one. Okay. <laughs> but for the sake of argument, I'm just going to not include On Golden Pond, which was number four. Never heard of that movie. Okay. okay. <laughs> so we're going to say Porky's is number five. Um E.T. the extraterrestrial was number one. Okay. I, I knew it. I, I was I was debating back and forth. I'm like, oh, I know E.T. made a ton of money. E.T. He, made 314.9 million dollars. That's huge in 1982. That's really huge yes. in 1982. And Raiders of the Lost Ark made 190.3. Okay. Um Rocky three was third. Okay. At 124.1. I, I knew I should have switched that in the room. And then sure. Officer and a Gentleman was at 108.4. Okay. Um, but what's fascinating to me is these numbers from 1982, again, looking at the difference, the number one movie was E.T., which made $314.9 million. And then six years later, the first year I did was Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which made 156. Yeah, that's really fascinating. So, I mean, that that tells, tells you how you, big of a release yes, E.T. Also was. Also, how huge E.T. was. Uh, can, I, can I say something about this? Yeah. E.T., I have never seen E.T., Wow. It's one of those where it became a thing where there was like a couple of years where it was like shown in school mm -hmm. where I just happened to like be out that day or like something I had to miss it or whatever. So there was like a couple of years in a row where I missed seeing E.T. in school when they were showing it. And so it became a thing where I was like intentionally <laughs> avoiding seeing E.T. <laughs> to the point where I've still never seen E.T. Um, I have been on the ET ride at Universal Studios in California. I've never seen the movie. You probably would have uh, understood a lot more if you had actually seen the movie first. Like I get the general premise, yeah. but yeah, yeah. So uh, ET was only in 180 more theaters than Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and it made twice as much money. That's yeah. six years before. Yeah, that's a big release. So I mean, it's just you know we often talk about the our frustrations with. The movie industry where it's going you know yeah. where it's going to make money etc cetera, etc cetera. but um there are always ups and downs there are with this too so that i guess that's the main question are we just in a down we're clearly in a down yeah. <laughs> whether it's a uh prolonged down or a temporary down we will see mm -hmm. that's really interesting okay that was fun i like that uh so now we'll close out today's podcast with our watch list movies that we've watched over the last week rob what'd you watch uh let me see I have my app here. I did watch um, without having to look, uh, V for Vendetta. Mm, I did as well. <laughs> it was November fifth, last yes. Saturday, last Sunday, people. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a prerequisite. It's like it's the, it's the law. It kind of is. <laughs> so I watched that um, simultaneously with one of my friends. She watched it at her house, and I was watching it at my house. And uh, always, always a good movie. Yeah. I just. It's great. <laughs> um, 
I also watched, uh, I so I did end up going to Target and getting my Universal Remote, so my 4K Blu-ray player is now operational. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I watched uh, Raya and the Last Dragon, which I have on 4K. Oh, okay. Um, I also watched Scott Pilgrim versus the World, mm. which I have on 4K. And, man, it, it really does make a difference. <laughs> I need it's, to. I need it's, to it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, there's something about just, the quality that is really cool to see in person. I don't want to be a super nerd about it or like, I have this, you don't blah, 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 because we're all watching the same movies. But um, it was just kind of cool to see that. I mean, when my wife can even notice mm -hmm. the difference in the detail, then you know, like, there's actually something to it. I remember when original HDTVs came out and people be like, oh, I can't tell the difference. And I'm like, are you blind? Are you blind? How can you not tell the difference? It's unbelievably huge, the difference. <laughs> and I was amazed by people. Well, I can't really tell. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I think we need to check your glasses yeah. prescription because something is clearly awry. Um, and I will be going to see, as I said, it's a wonderful life mm. tomorrow. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Uh, so I will basically focus on just the Marvels. I saw. I also watched The Martian, but I've I've seen that a number of times. We've talked about it on the podcast before. Great movie. Saw V for Vendetta. Also great movie. Uh, I did go see the Marvels. Were there any space pirates? <laughs> I don't think there were space pirates. <laughs> what I would say about it is it lacked cohesion. It lacked cohesion. It lacked. Uh, I will say. I have seen all of the Marvel movies. I spent the first half hour of the movie like being like, wait, um, wait, why is do did they know us? Where is this? Why is this character here? What was the story here? What you know, am I missing something, or did they just not put it in the movie? Like I, I spent a bunch of time early in the movie trying to like, okay, did I misremember something? Did, mm. did I miss something? Was this in a TV show that I didn't watch? I spent a bunch of time early in the movie thinking that, which is never a good thing. Um, now, maybe that's my own like lack of memory, but I think it illustrates the point we've been talking about is like now there's so much back catalog and there's so much kind of homeworky type things that you feel like you've got to do before you go see these movies that that took away from some of my experience. Uh, the movie itself, I think, lacked lacked cohesion it kind of jumped all over the place a little bit um i will say like there were some there were some like the plot was just they they left it left something to be desired in terms of stakes like the stakes of it were were weird and and there's one there's one point where they're you know, they're, they're setting you up for this is, this is the stakes. Like, this is what we've got to prevent. And then right at the moment where that's about to happen, they shift to a completely different premise. So it's mm. like, here, you've got to prevent this. Oh, wait, this is now happening. And, and that is, it's kind of a jarring shake. So you were never, you never had a sense of like, here's what we're actually doing. Here's what we're actually trying to accomplish. It's just like reaction back and forth. Mm. Um, and there wasn't, yeah, there just wasn't a whole lot that really drew you in that was super interesting. Um, the the new character, Kamala Khan, she has some good moments and some annoying moments. Um, and the, the post-credit scene is interesting and opens up a doorway, but 
it didn't seem like a doorway Marvel was necessarily going down with what they did before. So mm. you still don't have any better sense after watching this movie of where Marvel is headed. You don't have any better sense of this other than, okay, they might go here and they might go here and they might go here. Yeah. And you don't have any better sense of that. So I think, I think I would say it's about what I was expecting, which is an eh movie. Yeah. I mean, bring the two of the main characters. One is the the main um, exposure mm-hmm. to her was in WandaVision. Yeah. And then the other main character, the main exposure to her was in Miss Marvel. Yeah. And I'm guessing a lot of people haven't seen at least one of those, yeah. if not both of those. Yeah. So if you don't have that background, like I said, the mm-hmm. homework, you're not going to yeah. know exactly who they are and why you should care. And that's going to lead to a disjointed feeling for you if you don't understand who these people are. Which was me, because I had yeah. not caught up on all the television series. Yeah. I've seen every movie probably more than once uh, for most of them. And I spent the first half an hour movie like, okay, I'm missing something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and uh, that doesn't, I think that, that affects like you need to, you need to give some kind of background in those for people who have not seen your TV shows. You have to, you have to go over that ground somewhat again. Uh, I also didn't think the character interactions between the, the triumvirate there which make up the main characters for this was always was a little stilted at times and was a little off. It didn't feel as genuine at times as it Mm. should have. Um, In particular, um, the girl Kamala Khan and, and Captain Marvel. Uh, I thought there were some odd, odd tonal interactions there. Mm. And there was one scene that I was just like, okay, this is dumb. <laughs> like, I don't like this. This is dumb. Um, but uh, it's not like, it's not a terrible movie. It's not Wonder Woman 84, but it's not particularly good. But if you're just up for like, hey, it's entertaining. Yeah. It's it's reasonably entertaining. Yeah. So if you go in with mid to low expectations, you'll come out fine. It's interesting that Marvel would have to um, fail so much more spectacularly than they're struggling right now to reach the levels of Wonder Woman. (laughs) (laughs) And the fact that they were even considering bringing back the same director just blows my mind. That was a, you know, yeah. Good on them to ax that. All right. Well, that is the show. Thank you everyone for checking out film for fans. Make sure you go to filmforfans.com where I will have my article on the best opening scenes in movies coming up here in the next day or two. Until next time, enjoy the movies.